this morning, I'm excited. I get to go and talk about one of the most impactful passages of Scripture to me. Jesus tells, uh, it's actually a prophecy. Jesus begins to speak about what's going to happen. I mean, and it's one of the things that Jesus said that just, uh, that I constantly go back to. That in life, it just kind of like rings in my ears. You go through and all of a sudden you're living and then these, things, these words pop back up and you're like, oh yeah, I got to remember to live this out. I got to remember to walk this out. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through um, 46, Jesus goes through and he talks about what's going to happen. He says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate the people from one another as sheep separate, um, as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Now, when it says he's going to divide all the nations, that doesn't mean he's going to be like, okay, hey, China, China, you got Chinese people, you're over here. Mexicans, you're over here. All right, all my Peruvians over. Like it's not, that's not the way he's going to divide them up. As he goes through saying, hey, I'm going to separate them. He said, I'm going to separate them by the way that they lived. I don't care their age, their gender, their race. I'm going to separate them by how they answered a few questions, how they're going to answer this. And as he goes on, he says, as he separates me, he turns to the, to the one group and he says, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Now, I don't know if you put yourself in stories, but when I read the Bible, I put myself in the stories a lot. And I got thinking about this going, as I've read the story, as I've heard the story growing up, it makes sense because I know how Jesus is going to end the story. But if you're there, this is weird. God, almighty God looks at you and says, I was naked and you clothed me. You're like, what? When were you naked? When would my clothes fit? Like, really? He says, you see, I was in prison. You're like, what prison? What prison's gonna hold God? Like, really? And you're like, well, I was hungry and you fed me. You're like, is this what my tithes did? Like, what are you talking about? What is, are you saying when you say, I'm hungry and you fed me? And some of the things would translate, um, if he was telling this parable to you, he'd probably say, I was at a lunch table all alone and you sat with me. I was over here standing in the corner and you included me. I was without friends and you accepted me. And, and he, he said this and, the, and they turned to him and they're like, well, what are you talking about? I don't remember seeing God in my lunchroom. I thought my school kicked him out. Like, I, I didn't remember seeing, seeing you hungry. I didn't remember sharing my lunch with Jesus. Like, I, just, I don't remember this. I don't remember seeing God in jail. I don't remember seeing God naked. He, God, what are you talking about? And Jesus responds like this in verse 40. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And he goes, these are people I created, the people I care, and how you treated them. This is how you did it to me. And then he turns to the other group and goes, hey, I was at your lunch table and you told me to sit somewhere else. I was in your school and I was mocked and you joined them. I was hungry. You didn't share your food. I was cold. You didn't share your coat. I was needing visited 
and you didn't visit. And he lists all these things off and they, they turn back and they go, when, when, when did we see you all alone? When did we reject you from our table? When did we see you sitting by yourself and ignore you? When were you hungry and that we didn't feed you? When did we not give you a drink when you needed one? And when? And he turns and says the same thing again. He says, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. And just this whole concept, how I treat the least of these, often rings in my ears because there are times when it's very easy for me to love people and there are times or people that are harder to love. Um, some people are easier to love from a greater distance, I don't know. But some, every so often I catch myself with a bad attitude towards somebody. And then this story just kind of comes up going, how you treated the least of these. And to just picture the situation going, okay, let's say, so what? They're being annoying. They're being a butt. They're being a jerk, whatever they're being. You look and you go, what if this will be the spot when Jesus turns to me and goes, as you did to the least of these, and I get to fill in the blank. I get to go that I fed them, that I was patient with them, or I can show that I was rude to them. I pushed them out. And, and and I, I just got thinking about this. And I got thinking about another story that Jesus tells. Uh, I, I just read it again and I, I wrote some stuff down. Uh, most of you guys have heard at least reference to the story of the Good Samaritan. You may know the story well or you may go, you know what, I have no idea what the story is about, but I've at least heard of the Good Samaritan. And if you've never heard of it, don't worry about it, I'll tell you the story. In short. If you want the whole story, read it, Luke chapter 10, verse 29 to 37. But in this story, Jesus tells, he says, there's this guy, he's going to go from Jerusalem to Jericho. Maybe he's going from Jericho to Jerusalem. He's going from the walk, from one place to the other. And as he's walking in between places, he falls among thieves. And so thieves show up, they, they see him, and they're like, hey, look, this guy's alone. He's got stuff, let's take it. So they come down, they beat him up, strip his clothes, take his money, anything else he has, just beat him up and leave him for dead. And as the man is laying there, apparently in bad enough shape that he's laying there rather than getting up and like, well, that stinks and like walking on to or walking home to get new clothes. He is just laying there. So he's in bad shape. And Jesus says, well, and then a priest comes by. A priest, someone who represents the people before God and God before the people. You would think as a representative of God, when he sees this man hurting and broken, he's going to stop and help him. But, he shows up and he sees him. And he's like, ooh, crosses the other side of the road and keeps on walking. And he says that a little ways further on in the story, a Levite comes by. A Levite was the people cho chosen out of God's people to serve God, to serve. Um, and, and so he's supposed to be serving God and he sees this man. He too crosses to the other side and walks on. And it, it kind of paints this very hopeless picture for this guy because the two people that you think would help him most just walked by. And then it says a Samaritan comes by. And for most of us, a Samaritan means nothing. But to the, this audience, they just like cringed. And to give you some context, Jews at this point in time were racist. They were very racist. And they believed that they were... Um, very special. Everybody else was not. 
there is a people group that they abhorred more than most. That would be Samaritans. Because they thought that Samaritans, um, when Israel split into two groups, it was, hey, they, uh, you can study this, but when King Solomon died and his son took over, the kingdom got split. And when it split, the capital of the, of the one kingdom was Samaria, the capital of the other was Jerusalem. And they departed and they intermarried with different races and they got all sorts of different stuff and they kind of fell away from following God. And there was a lot of different drama there. And so there's this, this tension that grew and they're like, you're not real Israelites anymore. You guys are less than what we are. You guys aren't serving God right. And there's this, this great tension and it became so bad that a Jew wouldn't walk straight to where he was going if he knew that in the middle was Samaritans. He would like go way out of his way in order to avoid them because there was such a dis, like almost really a hatred for the Samaritans. And as Jesus tells the story, he says, the Samaritan walks up and he sees the Jew lying, beaten up, bruised, and bleeding. The guy, he sees the guy who hates him, who mocks him, who thinks he's less of a human than him, hurting. This is where most people would go, sucker, serves you right. Some of us would probably walk up and kick him like, ha, think you're better than me. And uh, Jesus says, this guy, Stops, picks him up, puts him on his donkey, which means he had to get off his donkey, gave up his spot, walks him to an inn, takes care of him, cleans him up, bandages all of his wounds. Not only does he pay for all of the, the stuff while he was there, but he leaves money with the innkeeper and says, take care of him. And if he racks up more of a bill, I'll be back to pay it. And then... Jesus ends the story saying, who was a good neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? The one who showed him mercy, says the man that Jesus told the story. And Jesus said, go, you go and do likewise. And as I was thinking about this story, I kept thinking about the priest. This priest, this man who was supposed to represent God to the people, yet he seems to have totally forgotten the point. He walks by this guy hurting and you go, how did he become so numb to the brokenness around him or at least to this broken man in front of him that he didn't care anymore or that his caring produced no action anymore? And as I, I looked, I'm like, you're an idiot. This is my first thought, sorry. I don't know if you guys ever have those thoughts when you're reading, but you read about it and you're like, you look at this guy and you're like, you just blew it. Like, this is, this is why you are there. This is, you're supposed to be representing God. Or what, what is so important? Why is it that you are um, disengaged? Are you so afraid of being, that the robbers might pick on you? Are you so afraid that he might get you dirty that you won't be clean for something? Are you, what are you so afraid of? Why is it that you won't help? But it's so easy to judge him but has life, the busyness of life, made us blind to the world of hurt around us? Do we race past people that are hurting, broken, needing help in some way? Are we more concerned with our schedules than we are with the people we encounter? I recently heard a study that, that was trying to decide why people help and why people don't help, and they said one of the leading factors was how much time people had. 
They said if, if people were early to class, they actually did this on a college univer- uh, campus, and they'd have somebody that was hurt, and they'd have people booking it to class, and if people were later for class, they'd see somebody hurt and just be like, whatever. But if they had them in, a lot more of them stopped. And it's, it's, if we got to the point where we're so obsessed with ourselves that it doesn't matter what's happening to people around us, that all we're focused on is our own schedule. And I just got looking at this as Jesus says, you go and do likewise. And I begin to look and go, how am I treating the people around me? If Jesus, if I'm going to stand in front of God and he's going to say, what did you do to the least of these? How am I doing? How are we doing? And as I got looking at this, I got thinking about Jesus' ministry. Do you realize that most of Jesus' ministry wasn't planned? Let me explain this. Most of it wasn't Jesus went out and said, bring me the sick that I may heal them. You'll find about 10 times, depending on your translation, where Jesus is is coming through and it'll say this. And he had compassion on them or for them. Matthew chapter nine, verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. In Matthew 14, 14, it says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Mark 141, Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and he healed the guy from leprosy. Um, It says in Luke 7, he watched a funeral going down the street. And here we have the hearse and everyone's got the little flags. They didn't have a hearse. They didn't have flags. Um, But everyone walks through the city as they carry the casket, mourning and crying. And Jesus sees them coming by and sees that a widow lost her son and is devastated. Says He saw her and he had compassion on her. He grabs the guys carrying the casket, says stop, and raises the dead guy to life. Pardon me, let me interrupt your funeral. Like, I'm like, that's awesome. But it doesn't say Jesus got up that morning and went saying, bring me the dead guy. I'm going to heal him. It says Jesus was doing something and he saw someone broken and he had compassion on them. And I got thinking about these different miracles and most of the miracles that we find recorded, Jesus is somewhere doing something and someone rocks up going, hey, my daughter is sick. My servant is sick. And you'll find different ones. And they, they come up to him and they go, this is, I have a problem. Will you help me please come? And Jesus goes, okay. And he goes, well, Jesus, aren't you busy teaching people? He's like, yes. Yeah. So he just goes with them. In fact, you'll find as he's on his way to go heal someone's daughter who ends up dying and then he ends up raising the girl from the dead. On his way, he stops because somebody reaches through the crowd and touches his garment and receives healing and he stops to share there and he begins to go on. And I'm like, constantly I keep finding Jesus is on a mission and as he's going, he stops because he has compassion on somebody. And then I ask myself, do I stop to have compassion on people or am I too busy with myself to help people around me? Am I too afraid of being late? Am I too afraid of the social stigma that reaching out to them might give me? Am I too afraid that if I stand up for them that the bullying might turn on me? Am I too afraid 
And I begin to ask some of these questions. Because our world, your world, is very broken. How many of you guys attend a school? All right, God bless you, homeschoolers. How many of you guys have neighbors? All right, that's all of you. And you're like, I don't have neighbors. Shut up, you do. They might live a long ways away, but you have neighbors. All right, so. Um, like, I have a mile, mile long driveway. That's okay. Your neighbor might be two miles away, but you have a neighbor. Okay. In your, in your, possibly in your homes, in your schools, in your neighborhood, there's a lot of broken people. I was talking to somebody recently about suicides, but in particularly about teen suicides. Because I deal with it a lot more than I'd like to. Honestly, I wouldn't like to deal with it at all. But because um, it's such a sad thing to have be a reality. But I've dealt with, I've visited people who tried and failed. I've talked to students who are at the edge of committing or who were just at the edge of committing. I've done a funeral for someone who committed suicide. And as I, as I look at this, it, it, it's sad. It's very, very sad. And it hurts. And I had someone ask me going, well, why? They'd heard about somebody who, who tried. And they said, well, why? I said, I can't, I haven't asked them. I haven't talked to them. But I can almost guarantee that it's going to come around relationships and self-worth. They're going to be alone or feel alone and they're going to feel unworthy. This comes up in almost every single one. But there's this problem that you don't always recognize it. You don't always see it. I've got a few stories. I say stories. As I was thinking about this, I had a file. I go like this. It's probably about this thick. Full of testimonies from students. And so I sat in my office and I read through these testimonies. I typed up a few segments and I asked permission so I could share some segments, but I'm going to leave them nameless. This was all Bob or Sue. Um, one of the students, I remember feeling like I wasn't special, like there was no reason for God to love me. Um, another one sits here and says that they had some poor choice of friends. They begin to feel worthless, they stopped attending youth. Says that they came back, someone came up to me and said, glad you're here again. We've missed you. That meant so much that they actually noticed I was gone. That student felt loved, got connected, encountered God, and had their life transformed. Why? Because someone had a great word from God and came and spoke. No, because someone said, hey, it's good to see you. It's been a while. Missed you. It's not this grand thing that you need to have this awesome ministry and millions of dollars to reach out and to help people. To help the broken, you need to be willing to love on somebody, to reach out to the least of these. Uh, it stated... I just thought I wasn't worth his time. I wasn't good enough to be loved by him. Someone says, I've been a victim of bullying at school. 
this time in my life was my lowest point. Started to judge myself and felt worthless. This, this student pinned something that's priceless. So I went into a hidden depression. I put on a false, happy exterior, but inside I was crushed and hopeless. There's this thing where a lot of students go, you know what? They're fine. They don't look broken. But so many of the students that are broken don't look broken. In fact, a lot of times it's the student who looks like they have it all together that's absolutely shattered inside. I can't tell you how many students' stories I've read and they sit here and say, nobody knew what I was going through. But I was broken. But I was hurting. But I was all alone. And they're like, what do you mean you were all alone? You had friends galore. I said, no, I was all alone. People might have said hi in the hallway, but I was all alone. And you don't know where they are at. And you can test me on this. You can go home. Google teen suicide. Pull up a news article. When you read it, below the article, if they allow comments, very rarely will you find, if, if ever, they sucked at life. Like, everybody hated them, good riddance. You don't find that. What you find is people sitting here going, I wish I would have known they were so awesome. I wish I would have reached out. I wish we were still close like we once were. And all these people realize that they're, that they're like, they go, what, what would have happened if I would have done something? Would things have been different? Because they look at this person and they don't often see it coming. There's often a mask that they were hidden behind. This person who says, I, was, I went into a hidden depression went on shortly thereafter and said that they decided that they would commit suicide. And later they encountered God and they said, God's, um, I can't wait to help others understand and experience God's wonderful love to help them before they make a fatal mistake like I almost did. Because so many people are broken and hurting and don't let anybody in. The, the, the last one really shocked me. Because as I would peg the students, where's my water? There's a student that I constantly see as awesome, socially, uh, I don't know what the word for it is, but popular. When I see them, they seem to be well-loved, well-liked, popular, um, able to, to do things well, not awkward at all awesome, and seem to have it together. And they wrote, I had no friends, no confidence in myself, on the inside or outside. The amount of stress was unbearable. Finally, I was, al I was alone. So that they went later, they went, said, I went and grabbed my gun from its case and loaded it and said, out loud, God, last chance. And they, they said that God didn't boom anything from heaven. There was no booming voice. But as they sat there, 
all of a sudden they, they were able to see um, God showed him his life and what had happened. Do you realize he was a split second from making a irreversible choice? And as I, I read this, and he, he went on to say that he found a group of friends at church and ever since has been giving his troubles to God. But I got thinking about this concept of the least of these, the people around me, of going and doing likewise. And I thought, how many people are broken and hurting right next to me that I don't know it? I can't tell you how many times I have heard students say, they know that I'm just kidding. That's just the way that we talk to each other here. Does they tear people apart? Do you know that your school is full of people that are broken and that are hurting? That I can't tell you how many students I've talked to that have been at the edge of making a choice that they can't undo because they felt they were so focused on the moment and in the moment they were hurt, broken, and they believed that they were worthless and they were looking for somebody to tell them that they were worth something and at the moment they didn't see it. Do you realize that that can be you? That you can be that person that just goes, you know what? Hey, we missed you. Glad you're back. You can be the person that goes, you know what? Hey, come sit with us. And if everyone else at your table gets up and walks away that you can stay sitting with them rather than being so afraid of your, the repercussions, rather than being like that priest that was so worried about himself that he walked past the person that was broken and hurting. And as I, I looked at the, the way that Jesus ended that, he said, you go and do likewise. And then I, I, 2 Corinthians 5.20 just like rings in my head that says that we are Christ's ambassadors, that we are his representation to the earth. And I think of the priest that's supposed to represent God to the people. And then I realize, wait, I'm supposed to represent God to the people. I'm supposed to represent God to the world. You are supposed to represent God to the world. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is what he's commissioned you with. Going, how good of a job are we doing? Am I showing God's love to those around me? The, the immersion trip is a great opportunity to go and show God's love to people that are just around the corner that we normally don't see. But what about at your school? What about in your home? What about in your neighborhood with your siblings? How do you treat them? Because there are broken and hurting people all around you and someday we're gonna stand in front of Jesus and he's gonna turn and go, how did you treat the least of these? Or he'll tell you how you treated the least of these. That rings in my ears on a regular basis. And it calls me out as I start to get impatient. As I start to get annoyed. How am I going to treat them? What if that was Jesus? What if Jesus is going to tell me that's how you treated me? And it leaves me challenged. And I want to challenge you as well. Some of you guys may say, you know what? I'm the broken and hurting person. It's all alone. If you're broken and hurting, I want to invite you to talk to a leader. You can talk to me. You can talk to anyone wearing a lanyard. We love you. You're worth it. God has a purpose for you. Don't want you to do it alone. And if you're here and say, you know what? 
Maybe you haven't become a Christian. You've never given God your life because you didn't think that Christians were any different. You go, this is what a Christian's supposed to be. If a Christian is supposed to reach out, if a Christian's supposed to show that love, even to the people that don't like them, the people that mistreat them, going, that's the kind of person that I want to be. That's what I need. I want God's life in me. I want to give God my life. I want to receive his forgiveness. I want to give you a chance to make that decision today, to make Jesus your Lord, to receive his forgiveness and the gift that he offers. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? If that's you and you say, you know what? I want to invite him to be my Lord. I want to receive his forgiveness. Then this is your chance. Get ready. One, two, when I say three, I want you to raise your hand. Three, raise up your hands nice and high. That's me. It's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to know that I'm forgiven. Right with God and I'm way to heaven. Awesome. God, I thank you that we can represent you to the world, that you could fill us with your love until it overflows. God, that we could draw people towards you, that we could see people healed, saved, and set free. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.